Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a relationship expert, executive consultant, and life management coach. Cynthia Hyatt uses her 30 years of experience as a licensed psychotherapist to now offer in-office or concierge services through executive life coaching, consulting, and image management in order to help you be your own best version. Cynthia also specializes in speaking to groups worldwide about how to be successful in relationships, as well as artfully handling life's challenges. She has had many opportunities to present numerous educational seminars and lectures on a variety of motivational, inspirational, and mental health topics around the world. Please take a moment to visit her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's Cynthia, H-I-E-T-T dot com. Her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated for current events, updates, and inspiration during your week, as well as all social media platforms. You can hear this show as a podcast on iTunes and many other podcast services. Follow her on Facebook and Instagram. Now, with today's fresh insight, here's Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you for joining me today. And I am Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So I first of all want to say thank you so much for referring this show to your friends. I really do appreciate that. And I also today had an um, Instagram message from one of the followers that said, Do you ever, have you ever um, done a show on letting go? Now, kind of, because we've done the grief and loss process and those types of things. But the issue of letting go, that's, that's the hardest part of the grief and loss process. It feels like we're giving up. It feels like we just said, okay, forget it. It's done. It's over. There's nothing I can do about it. Some of that's just true. So how do we make the pain stop? And so the reason I'm wanting to do this show is because it's not just about humans. It's not just about people. It's not about necessarily losing someone in your life. It's about this idea of how do I move forward when whatever it was that I was looking forward to or wanted to have happen didn't happen. How do I move forward? And that's the thing that I want us to look at. And so I love the verse in the Bible that says, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. Who did he weep for? Lazarus, his best friend Lazarus. And so he, was, he wept, he stopped, he took time to do that. So this, this statement is the 35th verse in the 11th chapter of John. And although it is the shortest verse in the entire Bible, it is by far one of the most poignant and endearing moments in the life of Christ. These two words say so much speak so much and tell us so much on so many different levels. We see in this famous story of Lazarus that a much beloved man had died. And what, what happens? His dying process and subsequent death reveals tremendous grief, loss, bewilderment, anger, shock, uncertainty, and hurt. Now, there's a myriad of feelings and thoughts that they have experienced in this story. But the thing is, the entire community was at a loss. 
and their faith felt shattered. See, if they had no faith, they didn't want to try now. And the loss of something we love, something we have become attached to, or something we have hoped for, or this is such familiar pain to all humans, although each of us experience our own, our own unique version of this pain, I want you to think about it's the idea of loss. It's something that I set my heart on, set my mind on, that I'm looking forward to, or that I enjoy so much, or that I've worked so hard to have, and now it's gone. And this is why I want you to think about this. The loss of something we love, that we've become attached to, that we've hoped for, right? This is the version of pain that we're going to talk about today. And this is why I think it's so important for us to look at it. I don't want you to minimize your pain. See, we, we can't always, you know, decide how we're going to feel about something. And many times we can be shocked that we're hurting as much as we are. We thought, I didn't know it was going to affect me this much. And so this is one of those things that we want to make sure we are aware of and know what to do with it. So we would all love to go around the pain, over the pain, even under the pain. But through the pain, see, we all want to do a different way. But more than anything, I'm going to repeat myself again. I don't want you to minimize the pain. Now, I don't want it to become your identity, okay? I don't want it to give you permission, tacit permission to do things that you know are unhealthy. But I want you to really understand that that pain is important. It's telling you something. So when we think about this, you know, we've heard the statement, the only way out is through. I agree. Very succinctly explains this problem of pain that we all have. We would all love to go around the pain, over the pain, under the pain, but we don't want to go through the pain. And we all want to think there's a different way. And so the reason that I'm talking about this idea of letting go is that whenever we have pain, we have a hard time letting go of it. Even though we want it to go, we seem to have a hard time letting it go. And so I want us today to think about all those things that we have attached to, those hopes, those dreams, people, um, anything that we own, pets, a relationship, a job, whatever it is that you have attached to that is important to you. This is what we're going to talk about. How do I make the pain stop? Well, we all know of people and that we've read about different individuals who did not successfully manage pain. You see, pain demands a response. Regardless of the size or the impetus of it, it demands a response. So when we've talked about this before, we've talked about the quote, how to deal with the pain, heal from the pain, grow from the pain, so that the pain of loss will be and this is a saying that God gave me that I love, for our gain and not in vain. See, God doesn't let us experience hurt, disappointment, fear, all these different things just as an experiment, okay? He is really saying 
that this, I can make this for your gain, and I can promise you it will not be in vain. I mean, that's a big statement. So why is this famous verse, Jesus wept, so powerful? The mere fact that in a literary sense, the author has it stand alone and tells us God wants to make a point. If you look it up in the Bible, that little saying, Jesus wept, stands alone by itself. So the mere fact that in a literary sense, the author had it stand alone tells us God wants to make a point. There's something here for us. Physically, God understands the need for tears and the expression of them. And we've talked about tears before on this show. And the tear composition varies from tear types. See, mainly tears are composed of water, salts, antibodies, and t- a- uh, like antibacterial enzymes. And so there was this discovery by Dr. William. And he's a biochemist from St. Paul Ramsey Medical Center in Minnesota. And the composition of tears caused by emotion differs from the tears as a reaction to an irritation, such as onion fumes, dust, or allergy. This is interesting. Emotional tears are composed of more protein-based hormones, such as prolactin and leucine. It's, these are natural painkillers. So what this is suggesting is that the mechanism behind the experience of crying from emotions making an individual actually feel better. Tears are comprised of sorrow, actually help us heal. They help us to eventually feel better. These types of tears release as well as natural painkillers. Isn't that interesting that God designed that in us? That if we are willing to cry over whatever the loss is, whatever the hurt, the letdown, whatever it happened, he's saying to us, listen, I've given you a way to clear that pain. And that is through tears. See, our tears carry those enzymes out of our body so that we don't keep rehashing the hurt. So if we will let ourselves cry, and I mean, I've had some that I have cried really hard, and sometimes I've cried for days. But I always feel better at the end. I've come to find some form of peace at the end if I will let myself cry. So we see this perfect example of Jesus being fully human and operating as a human in the most healthy way as well as responding appropriately to his friends and community. This emotional expression strengthened and helped him do the work that needed to be done. So think about this. Jesus could have healed Lazarus, and some of his friends and family members and the town was not necessarily really happy. They said, what what happened? You're the one that does miracles. And this is part of that contradiction that we are always dealing with when we are dealing with the one true God, that his ways are not our ways, his thoughts, not our thoughts. And he really, truly still loves us. And so this emotional expression helped Jesus to do what needed to be done. And one of the things that he had to resist was everybody asking him to heal Lazarus. But he had to listen to God 
And he said, that's not right for this time. And so this is what I want you to think about. The weeping and wailing women. Have you heard of them before? They are all throughout the Bible. And the message version of the Bible talks about a life that is all outside but not inside. And so in this, this book of Jeremiah, and this is verse 917, and it's from the Message Bible, it says that the, a message from God of the angel armies, look over the trouble that we are in and call for help. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this idea of weeping. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining in today. And we are talking about the concept of letting go. And this idea came to me through um, my website because there was a young woman that said, hey, have you ever thought about doing a show on letting go? And I thought, wow, that's some great insight. That is really a worthy topic. So we're talking about this idea, the shortest version, I mean, I'm sorry, the shortest um, like scripture in the Bible is that saying Jesus wept. And so when we think about Jesus weeping over Lazarus and how confusing this was to the people because they have seen Jesus do miracles. And so there was a whole lot of needing to let go in just this arena. They had to let go of their expectations of Jesus. They had to let go of a, of a trusted, wonderful friend. They had to let go of all the dreams they had that had Lazarus involved in it. And now he wasn't going to be there anymore. So there's so many things that we have to really understand about weeping. And so, you know, it's, it's that strange thing that the scriptures regard, you know, they, they talk about the, the weeping and wailing women. And what they would do when someone would die or when they would lose, you know, the army would lose a fight or whatever it was, they would bring what they called the weeping and wailing women. Because these weepers, these wailing women, helped everybody else access grief. Instead of just shutting it down, they were there to help people actually grieve. And so Jeremiah 9.16, this is out of the Message Bible, it says, a life that is all outside but no inside. And it goes on to say, this is a message from God of the angel armies. Look over the trouble we're in and call for help. Send for some singers who will help us mourn our loss. Tell them to hurry, to help us express our loss and lament. Help us get our tears flowing. Make tearful music of our crying. Listen to it. Listen to the torrent of tears out of Zion. We're a ruined people. We're ashamed people. We've been driven from our homes and must leave our land. Why would they come? Why would they be called forth? For one, the incident deserved it. See, it memorializes the significance of crying. Secondly, it's necessary as a way to move forward. Thirdly, there's healing physically in crying over the loss. 
It's one of the ways that we validate that loss. And this is what I want you to think about. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody but you. You know, things can hit me much harder than they hit my husband or my friends or, you know, clients or, you know, but things that I can't control how I'm going to necessarily feel about something. All I can do is be the best version of myself while I'm weeping, wailing, crying, falling apart. See, God understands that we need to cry and we do well if we cry together. That validates our pain. So God understands that this world hardens us, and we need help sometimes to feel. And the feelings that need to be appropriate for that situation. We need to know that the expression of pain is actually healing, and the need to be vulnerable and connected with others strengthens us individually and collectively. So don't you find the statement, there's no use crying over spilt milk? Isn't that interesting? See, it sounds very logical to our human mind, but it is exceedingly unhealthy when we understand how God has designed us. Now, I'm not saying, you know, that we should cry every time we spill milk. Obviously, it's not that, it's not that I'm not being that blank with it. What I'm saying to you is what people need to cry about may be different than what you need to cry about. What they need to wail about, what they need to go in their room and shut the door and turn off the light, it may not affect you the same way. But we want to honor people's pain. And the biggest thing about honoring people's pain is also making sure that they move through it. You know, we don't want someone to continue wearing, you know, a black dress for the next 10 years. We need to still do our life. So the enemy of our soul wants us to minimize our pain and maximize our pleasure as a way to thwart the process of achieving a full, rich, and abundant life. See, the intention is impeding the process of healing and thereby stealing all that is good. That's what the enemy of our soul wants to do. So how do we do this? Well, we've talked about the grief and loss process before. And so this very important thing when we talk about attachment, which we have in in previous shows, just recently actually, that we need to understand how we attach and why we attach. Sometimes it's not as important to know why, because we may not know why we attach to something. But we were talking last week and the week before about this idea of how humans attach to things that may not even be real or alive. Like we attach to, hey, I like the way this, this store is put together and I go in the next week and they've rearranged everything. I don't like that feeling. It could be as simple as, hey, they changed the, you know, the, the, the way that this, this sandwich used to taste. Why did they have to change it? I liked what I had. And so we can attach to certain things without even recognizing that we're doing it until it's gone. And then we say, wow, I really missed that. How did I miss that? I didn't know I was so attached to that person. They're never going to be here again. You know, it could be the, the grocery store clerk at, at the store you go to. could be to a neighbor that you have great relations with, but you never do anything with them. And then you find out they passed away the night before. See, we want to really understand that the grief and loss process is important 
no matter what size the loss is, it's important to do. So Dr. Kubler-Ross came up with this five-stage model of grief and introduced it. And this and, and Kubler-Ross, in her book on death and dying, was inspired by her work with terminally ill patients. And though it applies to the idea of death and dying in a physical realm, we really can apply this to the concept of death of anything that is meaningful to us. So this process will allow us to use our free will to choose God's will for our lives. So when we talk about these different stages, and I'm sure you've heard of them before, but as I read them, you might begin to say, oh, that's what's happening to me right now. I didn't realize that. Or maybe that's why I'm so angry or why I'm so depressed because I didn't want to address it. I didn't want to think about it. I just wanted it to go away. So stage one, we've all heard of this. This is the shock and denial stage. We just can't believe it. We're in awe. We, can't, we, we don't even know what to do. The second one is bargaining. And this is where we do the coulda, shoulda, woulda, if only then. We don't want to let go. And we recognize, hey, what happened to that restaurant? It's gone. And there's nothing we can do about it. And so we're in, we're in that shock and denial and bargaining stage of what happened? We need to understand. So join me in the next segment as we talk more about how to do the grief and loss process. Welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for joining me today, and I always appreciate all the activity I see online that you respond to what we're putting out there, and I really do appreciate that. And so today we're talking about this idea of grief and loss, and how do we make the pain stop? And so I'm expanding this to not just be about losing a person, or a pet or something. It's about any loss that I didn't maybe expect. It's about being able to let go. And this was prompted by one of the uh, listeners and one of the young women that follow me online that she said, hey, Cynthia, do you ever do something on letting go? And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. And so this idea, when it comes to the grief and loss process, is one of the ways that we let go that we kind of re resolve ourselves of what's going on, that we understand that, wow, everything has a beginning and an end. The only thing that does not have a beginning and end is God and when we're in heaven. And so it's really recognizing that we have these stages we go through, and sometimes we don't even notice it. We can go through the grief and loss process if you come up on a stoplight, and it's yellow, and you know it's been yellow too long, <laughs> so you have to stop. We go through the grief and loss process very quickly. We don't even know we did it sometimes. So as always, there can be impediments to our healing process as we move through those stages. And the stages are the shock and denial, bargaining stage, then anger. And then we go to stage four, which is sadness and mourning. And then the last stage is that acceptance piece. And many times, clients that, that come to my office, I find, 
They didn't properly go through the grief and loss process of some event or some person or a dream or an expectation. And so they are getting depressed or they're getting angry. And so this is one of the things that we need to really understand is that there there can be impediments to our healing as we move through those five stages. So we employ these often without being consciously aware of their derivation or impact. Now, these, what we call maladaptive coping skills, are employed as a way of avoiding or ignoring going through the difficult process of grief, letting go, and dealing with the pain. And so these maladaptive coping skills, obviously we know what many of them are, drinking, smoking, overeating, sleeping too much, binge-watching television, not taking care of myself, anger, all these types of things are part of that grief and loss process. So there can be denial, avoidance. We can fall into addictions or compulsive behaviors. We can get aggressive. And like all of a sudden, people are saying, why are you so angry? And you might even think to yourself, I don't know. I don't know why I'm so angry. Excuse me. So what I want you to do, if you're in that situation, is to go back and think about the last day or the last week or month or even year and say, am I holding on to something and refusing to let it die? Even if I'm not consciously always aware of it. And so we also get resistance, rationalization. Maybe we minimize. And we say, oh, no, it's not a big deal. But you find that you can't sleep well. You find that you're doing more like, you know, addictive behaviors. Maybe you're finding that you're getting lethargic. You don't want to deal with anybody. And so that has a part of the process of grief and loss. And so when you resist it, you're going to get stuck in one or more of those five stages. Because five, the stage five, is acceptance. And I have had clients many times that have raced to acceptance. And what I tell them is, it's impossible. It's impossible. We can't think our way through grief. It takes time. And the bigger the grief, the longer it takes. The bigger the loss, the more we mourn. And so this is why it's very important that we're aware of what's going on, because otherwise it starts to taint or kind of like distract us as we move forward. So we want to say to ourselves, okay, I can shelve that at different points because I need to do my job and I need to be a parent and whatever. But I still have to be honest with myself about the level of grief. How upset am I? How mad am I? How frustrated am I? Or how, how disillusioned am I because of this loss? And usually the bigger the loss, the more we want to ignore it. And so this is what we think about. Humans turn to different things that don't really effectively work when they're working through the grief and loss process. And this, this goal here is to be effectively managing the change and the stress. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk more about this grief and loss process.
Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and thank you so much for joining me in this show and also letting your friends and family know about the show. I appreciate that. One of the reasons that I started doing this was because many people don't have the money for therapy or coaching, or maybe they're too afraid, and so they'd rather listen online. And so that's a lot of why this show even came to be. So today we're talking about grief and loss. We're talking about, wow, we lost something, and how we feel when it's kind of like being blindsided. And this is what's interesting. We can still feel blindsided even if we know that the loss is coming. We just are shocked that we are so upset about it because we knew it was coming. So when we talk about this idea of how do we make the pain stop, this is where we look at the stages of grief and loss and how important it is to us to go through these things, this letting go of whatever that loss is and being able to really let it go. And this is tough. So I want to... um, quote for you this wonderful, wonderful poem that I found years ago. And this really helped me with some things I needed to let go of that I needed to grieve. And this is how it goes. It says, I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she. But oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And it really helped me to embrace that and not race through the grief process I knew I needed to do. And this is by uh, Robert Browning Hamilton. It's a very famous author and it's a very old saying, but I loved it anyways. So when we look at the grief and loss process, the last stage is that of acceptance. So what are some roadblocks, you know, to effectively managing that pain? And sometimes what happens is the person may not recognize the change that has taken place. Maybe like an elderly parent can't drive anymore. And they just kind of like, oh, it'll be fine. Or maybe she's just tired. And when it really hits us that, oh, my gosh, they're really, excuse me, they're really aging. And maybe they aren't coming back from that illness that they had. Maybe the, pers- the person can't accept the loss has occurred, and so they refuse to believe. How about the person that you broke up with and they just really can't believe it, and they won't accept it? And so the individual may not even expect to mourn a loss other than death, right? So this is why this is so important for you to understand the way God has made us psychically intellectually and and emotionally, that he understands the process that we need to go through in order to effectively heal from whatever that loss is. And so we're going to have feelings of anger, rejection, guilt may complicate and obscure our underlying grief. We might get so caught up in the shoulda, coulda, what is if only then that we forget to grieve the, the fact that there is a loss. Maybe the loss came from a socially stigmatized event like suicide, a racial incidents, abortion, drug and alcohol problems. So there may be a shame piece here that causes the person to avoid drawing attention to the pain. They may feel responsible, 
right? They may say that it was my fault. I should have known. All of these shoulds, coulds, woulds, if only. And so sometimes the individual may have emotional blocks as a result of previous losses. And they can't resolve this one because they didn't resolve the other one. And maybe they're afraid to explore the feelings that's related to this now new loss that they have. Maybe the person it has a desire not to upset or add grief to others. And so this could be that something bad happened to them and they don't want other people to feel bad for them. It could also be that maybe it happened to a family and we don't want to make our family members hurt more, so we act as if we're fine. Maybe we have some overdependence on the lost person, and so we have a, a complicated grief that we lost the person, but we also lost something of ourselves with that person. And so sometimes what happens, we hang on to the grief as a means to hanging on to what was lost. And I've seen people do this with animals. They keep talking about the animal. That wonderful pet that God gave them that helped them not be lonely. And now they can't move on from the loss of that pet. Because it's too sad to think they don't have their best friend. And so we also have like sex and cultural conditioning. You know, sex roles and cultural conditioning that block the expressions of our feeling. For, like, for example, maybe men aren't supposed to cry. I think we're getting past that, which I'm very happy for. But, you know, we don't always know how to appropriately grieve or what might be acceptable for the people that we are interacting with. And so what I want you to focus on more than anything is forgiveness. Forgiveness is oftentimes a part of acceptance because we have to forgive whomever or whatever created or supported the loss. Oftentimes it is a person. They betrayed us. They rejected us. They thwarted our success. They stole from us. They may have abused us, or maybe they died. Sometimes it's our own body. We feel as if our body betrayed us or let us down or is working against us. And so when I work with people that have catastrophic illnesses, this is one of the things they struggle with. Why isn't God healing me now? What have I done to cause him to not heal me? And these are really significant issues that we have to really walk through and be able to heal from. So how about we messed up and we failed or we got in the way of a good thing that was supposed to happen? Now, sometimes it might have been God that got in the way. So it seems strange to have to forgive God. I've had many talks with patients as well as myself about the concept that I hurt my feelings on God. I hurt my feelings on God. He didn't necessarily really hurt my feelings. I got upset because he didn't do what I thought he should do, could do, would do, ought to do. And I'm stuck with having to deal with what God isn't doing for me. And that's a tough one. And when that, if that's the case for you, I want you to really talk to God. He really knows what you're thinking and feeling anyways. He knew you before you, you were formed. He created you in your mother's womb. And he said how beautifully and wonderfully made you are. So it's really okay to be honest with God. He already knows what you think and feel. So it's not like he's going to be shocked. But what he does want is friendship. So when you share those things with God, you will begin to then have a friend in God. So 
This is what you want to think about. God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him. And that was quoted by Selwyn Hughes. And I, I love the stuff that he writes. And so I want you to think about that. I want you to think about God always gives the best to those who leave the choice to him because he's not being thwarted by doing what you think is best for you. So when we think about this journey of going through this process, I want you to, to really listen to this. So if it was the death of someone, loved changes our, lo- our lives forever. If that person we loved died, that will change our life forever. And the movement from the before to the after is always very hard, always very long, painful journey. And from different experiences with those that have loss, thousands of grieving people that, that have had to work through this. And myself, I have heard that if we are to heal, we cannot skirt the outside edges of grief. What does that mean? Well, I can't just talk about it like in little quips. I need to own it. It's happened to me. And I have to own it and deal with it. And so it is a journey that we have to go through. It has meandering side roads and sometimes plowing directly into the rawest center of your heart and mind. And I've also learned that journey requires mourning. See, there is an important difference. You see, grief is what you think and feel on the inside after someone you love dies or after someone or something has thwarted what you had your heart set on. How do you let go of that? So to mourn, this is an active participant in the journey of grief. And we all grieve when someone we love dies. But if we are to heal, we must also mourn. And this is why this is so difficult. See, there are many kind of different signs that we encounter through the journey of grief. And the first one is acknowledging the reality of the death. And acknowledging that reality is very important. And that in and of itself might feel like it'll kill you. We just don't want to believe it. We don't want to believe that we don't get to have such and such. Or that someone did this to us or to someone that we love. We just don't want to deal with it. And so this is the first part of mourning. And there's five to follow, but this is the first one we do. We have to acknowledge the reality of the loss. Then we embrace the pain of the loss. This is no fun, but we have a friend who lives in our hearts, lives in our minds, already knew it was coming, and has already made a way for us So we need to embrace the pain of our loss. This is not natural for humans to do. It's easier to avoid, it's easier to deny, repress it, right, instead of confronting it. So you'll probably discover that you need to, quote unquote, dose yourself in embracing the pain. So what does that mean? It means I take little doses of it. I don't take on the whole thing. Depending how big the loss is, depending on how much I'm needing to let go from my grasping hands, right? I need to be able to say, I can contend with this. And I can let this make me a better, stronger, kinder person. But that's not really why God is letting people die. 
He's not doing that to make us good people. He knows it's just a necessary part of what happens on earth and that the only way to get to heaven is to die. Isn't that interesting? And so this is what we really need to understand. The next thing is needing to remember the person who died or needing to remember the event that was so painful to you. And so it doesn't mean that you're having a relationship of memory. It means that these are dreams and ideas and hopes that you had with this particular person or particular event that you you were setting up or that you were looking forward to having. And so this need of mourning involves allowing and encouraging yourself to pursue other relationships. And so this is also about developing a new identity. And I, I, I don't really like it when they say it that way because your identity is fixed. But what it means is that your identity, all right, can adjust to different things that happen in life, different experiences that we have, and we can choose to let them cause us to be a better person. And so when we look at this, I want to read something to you because I found this as I was studying this process. And this is from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and John Kessler. And they are the ones that really came up with the grief and loss process while they were, they had a cancer center and they were looking up the process of all the patients that had cancer. So it says the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not, quote unquote, get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same, nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to speaking with you next week. Have a great rest of the week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging motivating, and inspiring to you. The messages and teachings shared during the show are given as a way to reach you, the listener, with ideas and insights on how you may not only improve your life, but have more successful and meaningful relationships as you become the best version of you. Cynthia is available as a keynote speaker or guest speaker for your corporate or spiritual events. Cynthia is able to customize a message for any audience attending a meeting, retreat, or conference. In addition to this, she oftentimes partners her messages with music as she is a singer and musician. Please contact her through her website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can download the most current show from her website at CynthiaHyatt.com or hear a replay on your favorite podcast server. Please Take a moment to visit her Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Incorporated and leave your ideas and comments about today's show. Now, be your own best version.